The following episode was recorded in early May prior to the murder of George Floyd by a white police officer in the United States. We delayed the release of this episode because, quite frankly, it just didn't feel right. We are furious with the ongoing racial injustices in the United States, which make us fear for our own lives as well as for the safety of our loved ones. We would like to formally condemn the crimes of the countless police officers and American civilians involved in matters of racism and brutality, the current response of Donald Trump, and the ongoing institutional and structural inequalities on which America was founded and from which white Americans still benefit. We would also like to express our wholehearted support for those protesting. We desperately hope this terrible situation leads to real change. And we'd like to remind everyone to keep going because the Black Lives Matter movement isn't over and there's still so much to be done. But with that being said, let's continue with episode two of the Monstrous Feminine podcast. We aim not to derail the conversations taking place about race, but instead wish to act as a temporary moment of respite in these troubling times. But stay tuned for episode three, because we are going to take a little break from Creed and talk about the history of black horror films. But until then, enjoy! Broadcasting live from the comfort of our own homes, this is the Monstrous Feminine Podcast, where horrible women talk about horror. My name is Louisa, and I'm joined by some of my usual coven members. Mila, Taya. And we're also joined by a new witch, Zeva. This week, we are continuing with our breakdown of the 1993 text, The Monstrous Feminine, by feminist film theorist Barbara Creed. Last episode, we covered three themes, the witch, the possessed monster, and the female vampire. Today, we are going to dedicate a whole episode to talking about monstrous motherhood. We are going to focus on Creed's two maternal classifications, the archaic mother and the castrating mother. Don't you swear at me, you little shit! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! I am your mother! We are going to talk about the archaic mother in relation to the iconic Alien franchise, focusing specifically on the first 1979 film directed by Ridley Scott. We will then compare these series in a more recent sci-fi horror, the 2018 film Annihilation, directed by Alex Garland. For the second half of the episode, we are going to discuss The Castrating Mother using the classic film Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Enjoy! You want to talk about mother time! So what have you guys been up to during quarantine? And do you have any funny mother stories that we can talk about as well before we get into the horrific ones? I suspect that I'm being haunted yesterday... <laughs> a hand on my window that was much smaller than my hand or any hand of anybody that I live with still trying to figure that out it was on the inside I wiped it off and then yesterday when I was out sunbathing my bedroom window was open and I could see it from the yard and nobody in my family would admit to opening it uh but when I was a child and I asked my mom if ghosts were real thinking you're supposed to tell me no so I'm not afraid she said yes and we have one so in conclusion uh, I fully believe that there is a ghost in our midst and it may show up on this recording a child ghost it looked like an adult shaped hand you know how kids have chubby hands we could get associated with your ghost by talking to you I feel like you should have come with a disclaimer now we're all at risk yeah it's like what's that uh, horror movie where they're all on Skype Unfriended. unfriended yeah i'm unfriending you after this i didn't plan to do that <laughs> i like you more now oh yeah so this we're joined by zeva and mina has left us temporarily she'll be back for the next episode but zeva worked on the sound editing last time and now she's moved from behind 
behind the scenes to behind the microphone. How does it feel? Um, it feels great to be the star of this podcast. Anyone else have some less terrifying um, quarantine? Um, no. 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 <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I've washed the dishes about a thousand times, and that in itself is a horror story. I only have, like, a general, um, a generally, like, just my whole childhood was inappropriate mother story. Like, my mom was so, like, sexually open. She even told me how I was conceived. And it's just, like, been nonstop from there. I'm just like, okay. So that's my horror mother story is just growing up with my sexually open mom from the very beginning. Did it turn you into a perverse voyeur? Like I thought you were going to say lesbian. <laughs> like, uh, no. That too, that too. <laughs> uh, it didn't turn me into a perverse voyeur. It just meant that I knew from a very young age what you were meant and what everything, where everything goes. There was no mystery. There was no, like, sanitized infantile and infantilizing language for your vagina it was always that's a vagina that's a penis this is how you were made and enjoy we stand so the first monstrous mother we're going to tackle is the archaic mother and how it relates to the film alien mother turn the cooling unit back on mother the ship will automatically destruct in T-minus five First of all, what does Barbara Creed mean when she talks about the archaic mother? I feel like the archaic mother is one of her more, like, confusing points that she talks about. But from what I've gathered is that it has to do with the Freudian origin story. So when a child thinks about their creation and they realize that their mom does not in fact have a phallus, so the mother is defined by her lack of penis, which means she's always kind of paradoxically constructed around a penis, even though she doesn't have one. So horror films like to play on this trope and center themselves over, uh, or center themselves on the theme of a mother not having a penis. Creed looks at uh, previous horror critics who have talked about the vampire, and she says that the, there's the presence of an archaic mother through all the mother imagery, like the womb and the eggs, but that the monster represents sort of an extension of the archaic mother, but also her fetish object, because it acts as her missing phallus by penetrating his victims. You know, he bites them. But in her analysis, she shifts the focus from the monster's act of penetration to the monster's acts of castration. So she says the horror of the archaic mother is not having no penis, but it's actually the fear of having your penis removed. And that is kind of scary because, well, scary for society, because if you remove the penis and you symbolically remove the father from the origin story and it's like men are obsolete. And that's why it's like a, such a central theme in horror. Awesome. And Professor Louisa, uh, <laughs> what would you say is like, Obviously, you've just stated how Creed develops it more is with the castration anxiety. Is that what distinguishes the archaic mother from the castrating mother? Is it just the addition of the castration anxiety? I think when she talks about the castrating mother, mother she basically is just shifting the focus from the mother to the son and talks more about the castrated son. So I feel like when she talks about the castrated, castrating mother, she's talking more about the effects of the archaic mother. It's kind of nuanced when I read it. I don't see much of a distinction between the two. 
And I know we don't have a, like a possession story per se in today's episode or any of the films that we watched this week, but I think that like subconsciously men find possession stories really horrific because it's like control of your body without your consent, but they don't have like the, like the cognitive cognitive dissonance that they have that they don't realize that like something has entered your body without your consent is something that happens to women all the time. And yeah. And so all those, you know, like the exorcist, all those like classic possession stories, they usually happen to children, but like the fear of it is a fear invoked in men. And it's the same thing with like alien invasion stories of like, this was my land, my territory, my body, and it's being probed or it's being taken over without consent. And I don't, I don't even, I don't know if it's actually subconscious or what they think they're afraid of, but they usually make women or children the center of those stories, which I find interesting. Yeah, I think although the creed and a lot of film theorists center all of their um, thoughts around psychoanalysis, it doesn't mean we have to take it word for word and doesn't mean we think, you know, Sigmund Freud is some kind of all-knowing God. We just have to dissect what we think is true or at least true within like a symbolic sense in film. And that's why it's fun to talk about. That is a great point, Mila. Uh, I think going into what we were just saying about aliens and alien probing and all of that, we should probably go ahead and launch into our first movie, Alien, because it does have that reverse, I guess, archaic mother at the beginning because Kane is the one who's first birthing out the alien through the chest burster. And everyone is quite horrified by that scene. I love Alien. Alien's a film franchise that made me like horror films. Um, and I think that first birth scene kind of relates to what Zayp was saying about how it's a reverse. Like, it's now the man who's be, who's been penetrated. And it's kind of like, it's so horrific because it's so taboo. Like, you wouldn't expect it. And it's also the man who's being forced to give birth, which I think is like a, like a pro-choice, pro control over your body narrative as well and they do it and and don't even realize that they've done it which I find so frustrating yeah that's true they definitely did not that have that intent in 86 or whenever this was was it no was it earlier 79 79 oh my god that was the, that was the alien <laughs> Jesus well I think it says like something interesting about the birth she says like in the beginning when um they all emerge from those egg pods and it's all clean and white she says this is the ideal birth like scenario for the archaic mother that is birth where the father um has already been rendered obsolete and they're kind of asexually birthing it's like very clean and tidy it's interesting that you point that out because if we compare that to the chest burster we can look at it as a really grotesque birthing scene. Um, and I think the fact that Kane is the one who has to endure that is an interesting development on that gender role reversal. Um, and so I think that's what makes it so terrifying and grotesque and sort of uncanny is that the idea of birth and in a sense then the archaic mother, like, you know, the origin of life and death, that uncanniness around it, it all kind of comes together in that scene. And it is, it's like, even though I, and because I know so much of the um, background behind it, like, you know, the actors didn't know exactly what was gonna happen. Um, 
and I watch it, but it still really gets under your skin. And I think that's just a testament to how well they put it together. I didn't know that they were, that that was going to happen. That was like a surprise. I didn't know that. It was a fun surprise. But another point with the monstrous mother being so terrifying is always this focus um, on the sort of big, gaping, toothy mouth that is going to devour you because it's symbolically like the mother, the archaic mother will reincorporate everybody into her womb again. And it will, and that's kind of experiencing a type of death because you lose your sense of self and everything becomes the archaic mother and there's nothing exists beyond her. And so I'm, I'm kind of interested in why they have like the opening birth scene in comparison to Kane's. Cause is it like saying that this is what happens when men are still in the picture of the archaic mother? Is that why it's so horrible? Like if we should have just listened to the asexual clean birthing scene at the beginning or what? I think this is like the absence of the mother having a penis for allows like the imagination to imagine the worst because the vagina is like also a symbol of castration which kind of goes into the castrating mother one so like vagina dentata is like a monstrous thing that's went back for like thousands of years that people have thought of and also in a way like Cain's birth is like a castrating birth because it does kill him but I guess the instead of having like the clean asexual birth it can get like very murky when things are used in a horrific way. Like the use of the archaic mother or the vagina as a horrific thing that like devours or castrates because in comparison with the penis, that is what it is to men. Not, not all men. Not all men. <laughs> hashtag not all men. Is that, why, is that why hashtag not all men are very stressed about like in vitro or like those sort of procedures where like two women can share the genetics of one child? I, I don't know. Like I, I think I've seen like online discourse where men are hashtag not all men are very stressed about that scenario that like there's there's some sort of like birthing process that would never involve them because like true tea obsolete don't need them. <laughs> I think that yeah. is. I think, I think Alien is largely about what would happen if we had, um, you know, technology, technological reproduction um, instead of the traditional biological reproduction. Okay, so we've talked about the birth scenes in the beginning and through Cain, through Cain's death. We can also talk about the um, archaic mother versus the ideal mother in, I guess we could describe as three different mother figures in the film. So first we have Ripley as the ideal mother. And then we have mother, the computer system that sort of guides their journey on the spaceship. And then we also have the alien mother, so the monstrous mother. So let's start with Ripley. In what ways do you think that she is, I guess, a representation of the ideal mother? Um, particularly maybe in that last, uh, scene of the movie, they really establish her as an ideal mother figure because she randomly risks her life. And I think some lives of the crew, or just in general, she risks everything to save that cat, which seems so random and like off the wall. And then she also has that random strip scene where they show her like stripping into the, the space suit and the, as the monster's like creeping in the background. And there's very much a contrast between her, like 
reassuring ideal body of a white woman and this monstrous figure emerging from the shadows. So it's kind of like, this is what you should be. And this is what um, is in stark contrast to her, uh, this monstrous thing. But also I, I love the franchise because it doesn't necessarily stick to that in the later um, series. Like as the films go on, you know, she becomes she becomes a host for the alien and then she actually even becomes a clone for the alien and they very much blur that distinction. So I really love that because they kind of set up this whole contrast of motherhood and then completely contradict it later on um, by blurring her sort of genetics and everything with the monster. And I think it kind of shows like, it just problematizes the ideal, um, the idea of ideal motherhood. Yeah, and what you said about the seemingly random act of saving the cat, I think when I was watching it, I didn't, this, um, I didn't think this, but then thinking about, um, is her name Newt, the, the child in the other film? Newt, the small girl. It kind of seems like maybe a foreshadowing of that, like she also risks her life to save her. And so there is like this strong maternal instinct within Ripley. Um, but I also think that, and you see this at the beginning, near the beginning of Alien, where she doesn't want to let Kane in. And she's in a way like a hyper-rationalist and is like, no, I don't want to risk um, all of us getting contaminated. And I think there does seem to be a, a conflict throughout the films of her motherly love in like the ideal sense. So like sacrificing yourself and being affectionate, but also this sort of rationalist survivor. And I think, yeah, that plays out really well throughout all the films. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um... I, I forgot about that, how she's, how it kind of, ideal motherhood is kind of problem, problematized by that emerging 80s feminism that's happening, which is like strong mother who might be seen as like cold and callous, but actually, it's not even mother, but strong woman who's cold and callous and not necessarily maternal, which is why the cat see, scene is kind of random in general, but I guess you could say she's like a new type of mother. Yeah, I did, I always found that like first scene kind of frustrating when, you know, she's sort of risking everyone's lives to like, you know, don't come into the ship, don't, having that cold calculating mother attitude of to, you know, towards things. But I didn't like think about it in the context of like 1979 when this was coming out, when there was, they set her up to be rational in a way that women have not been rational in film before. And it, it makes her like, temporarily the bad guy but then you know we know this is a horror movie this is how all things work that the person in the beginning saying the thing you don't want to hear ends up being right in the end but like so rarely is that the woman and so I think that is like a, a sign of like the changing cinematic time that is really interesting if you think about like I just like that point that she for once is like the woman is not hysteric especially in horror so it which obviously we all know the root of hysteric is w womb. So it's just kind of interesting that we have that, you know, no one believes her, but they should have. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be interesting to think about people watching it at the time that it was released. Um, they probably would have reacted in a, a negative way towards her rationalism where they think, how could she be so heartless as a, as a woman? But me watching this, I don't remember when I first watched it, but you know, in our generation, I was really, I found it quite admirable. I was like, yeah, don't let Kane on if he's gonna risk everyone else. 
Okay, let's move on to our next mother, which is the computer system on the spaceship. So considering the ideal mother versus the archaic mother, where could this mother possibly fall in to our line of analysis? I think she's, or she, she, I guess, yeah. Um, she's more archaic mother because definitely, well, at least that's what Creed's going off of. She's saying that the archaic mother is quite frequently not actually present. She's just signaled by the imagery in the film. So the sort of vagina uh, openings of the spaceships, the cavernous tunnels, uh, the eggs, the abundance of eggs, that all signals the presence of the archaic mother and that kind of origin story. And um, yeah, so and I think like, if anything, the monster is supposed to be an extension of her or her fetish object. Again, that kind of symbol, it kind of symbolizes her castrating potential. And then Ripley would have so, sort of been the ideal society mother. But then as we've discussed, she's not really that either, which is the beauty of the franchise. Oh, that is a great point. <laughs> I think also that the, the the mother says being helpful and useful and correct for like a, a solid 15 minutes of the film and then for the rest of it having no answers is a castrating effect in and it of itself because they're not used to having to make decisions either based on rationality or emotion. Um, and it sort of leaves them powerless because they've been going off of what is essentially code and what is actually a very societally masculine idea of rationality that like the computer will tell me what to do the mother will tell you what to do i think it is interesting that it is a woman's voice and that they call it mother later on when ripley's um sequence the ship to blow up and then she wants to uh cancel it or annul it i don't know the term that was used and mother doesn't because she's like, no, you run out of time. Um, and she's like, you bitch. <laughs> There's such a, I don't know, contrast there between, like we've talked about, the ideal mother of Ripley who wants to like survive and protect herself. And then mother being like hyper-rational and cold, being like, no, mate, you're out of time. So is that maybe like constructing horror from the archaic mother because it's presumed that she always has to lead you towards death like if that's her aim is to just you know keep the alien and like not um introduce this like new species like she's she wants the alien to prevail she wants her children to die and it's kind of society making horror out of that the idea that single or fatherless reproduction will lead to a mother that creates will create a mother with that kind of attitude should we talk about Ash and his, like, magazine? Magazine phallus? What would you like to say about his magazine phallus, Mila? Did you say it's a porn magazine, right? So maybe yeah. it's kind of like, it's choking or trying to kill her with the, the with this really hyper-sexualized image of women, which I think brings us back to, like, control of sex or sex without reproduction or sex without men during reproduction. So maybe it's kind of like a symbol of, I just think it's kind of uh, interesting that he chooses to kill her or try to kill her with um, something that's so in your face about women's bodies. It's kind of redrawing attention to that theme. So the next film that we're going to talk about today is Annihilation, which is originally 
based on the book series by Jeff Vandermeer. And it was came out in 2018. It was directed and written by Alex Garland. So the reason why this link came up is because I feel like Alien and Annihilation are connected with their use of the character Kane as being the first interaction with the othered item in the movie. Uh, and Annihilation is the Shimmer, and Kane is the only person who ever comes out of the Shimmer. He comes back to Lena, and he is clearly infected with whatever the Shimmer gives you. So just like in the movie Alien, Kane in this movie also sort of acts as an introduction uh, between the arcade mother and the alien or whatever the invader is within the movie. And I don't know if this is a purposeful choice by the writer, uh, where maybe they were influenced by Alien and decided to use the character Kane again, but I just thought it was interesting how both the characters had the same name and they played this role as being like the keeper to the otherness and the arcade mother. So I thought that was a really interesting link to explore. And I also didn't want to pass up a chance to talk about Oscar Isaac or anything because I love him. If you ever listen to this Oscar, um, I think you are the best person in the world. So like, so in that um, interpretation, you're viewing the Shimmer as um, the archaic mother in the same way Alien has the technological mothership as their archaic mother, correct? Yeah. Because I think, like, within the Shimmer, it takes everyone's DNA who enters or whatever it starts to absorb and creates new life out of it and new DNA sequences or recreates things to be these sometimes horrifying, sometimes beautiful images within the Shimmer. So, yeah, I feel like it is birthing a new world in a way. Whether that world is good or bad, that's up for interpretation. That's interesting that you, I, I didn't really think of the emphasis on new life. I read one interpretation, which was saying that the film is a metaphor for cancer. This was like a Reddit deep dive, but I was like, I was intrigued. <laughs> and um, it was saying because Ventress, who also is kind of a mother figure in that she's just the leader and she's like an older woman um, and she's leading them towards death. So she kind of acts as this extension of mother of the archaic mother, I think in some ways. But it was saying that she feels so connected to exploring the epicenter of the shimmer because in many ways that might symbolize that sort of perfect single-celled organism because as you get closer we get more and more scrambling of DNA until we approach like this womb-like epicenter which might give birth to it all and it kind of collapses you into it before it um, makes something new but yeah you're kind of all reabsorbed by the shimmer and it's like that I thought that was interesting if you combine it with what we've been talking about with that fear of reincorporation with the archaic mother, because it's kind of like she will literally absorb you genetically. Um, but in that interpretation, it was much more focused on cancer and death, whereas yours is like more about giving birth to something new. I know we aren't talking about mother exclamation point with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and them, but like that's a, it's the same idea of like mother nature as the archaic as the origin, as the thing that gets abused or mistreated or has more power than humans. I think it, it is a running theme that people find in horror and thriller because it, it, ev it evokes that particular emotion. It's like urgency that I think people associate with nature is feminine, nature is powerful. You can also abuse nature. It's, yeah, a running theme. So I know I think it's a good movie and I do definitely agree with what you said about the link between mother nature and life and death and the cycle of life. 
which is, I think, why I thought that Think of the Shimmer is like this recreating force because everything within it is created differently. Like the scene where Tessa Thompson, I'm sorry, I don't know her name within the movie. <laughs> I don't remember. But the scene where Tessa Thompson uh, is kind of like, you guys want to fight it and you want to understand it, but wh why don't we just be within? And she turns into the flowers. I think that scene is kind of interesting because it's not like she's dead. She's still there. She's just something different. As if she kind of gave into the shimmer, rebirthing her into its image, which is what I thought was quite interesting. Ventress wants to face it. You want to fight it. But I don't think I want either of those things. Broadening out from the suggestion of cancer being at like the root of the story, I think also, and it's alluded to in the film, it's, I mean, it's also spoken literally, the idea of self-destruction being a central theme, but also innate within human nature. Um, seems to play out throughout the whole film. And I think if we take the idea of destruction within the context of the archaic mother, we've talked about how that image is, in that it suggests both life and death, death being destruction, is what makes it so terrifying and horrific. Going to what Mila said about destruction, another thing is like all of the characters within the movie who go into the shimmer have some sort of self-destructive tendencies within themselves like Lena cheats on her husband Ventress has cancer so she doesn't care whether she lives or dies but Gina Rodriguez's character I think was addicted to drugs or alcohol and then Tessa Thompson's character uh was self-harming and then we find out that Lena's husband basically was kind of giving up on their marriage and he was angry with her so he decided to go on this mission as well I think that's also what I read in a sort of Reddit deep dive type <laughs> thing, that the self-destructive nature of humans means that when human beings enter the shimmer within the prism, the, what's mutated is their self-destructive nature. And that's why, like, I guess everyone goes batshit crazy. Uh, also, like, the only character that we see, the only female character that we the first one we see that has like a true death scene that they explore her death and they don't initially know what happened to her is the character who uh, her daughter died from leukemia and that's the first death scene that we see and she talks about uh, the absence of being a mother destroyed her marriage and her life in a very different way than having the actual illness would and she's like ripped apart by the bear and then her death leads everyone else to start to question Natalie Portman and think that she is basically bringing them there to feed them to the shimmer. So like the death of the character that we knew for a fact was a mother and that went into the shimmer because she felt like her life was empty without a child then leads everyone to start to believe that Lena has some sort of connection to the shimmer and as if she is the archaic mother who is feeding them to the shimmer as her baby. So that's interesting, because then in this case, Lena and Ventress and all of them who want to explore the Shimmer are the archaic mother, and then the ideal mother is, I, I googled, <laughs> is Shepard. Do you think that there's a connection between, as we were saying earlier, like the fear of being taken over, 
or controlled or probed or recreated with the male characters that previously went in, leading them to choosing an only female team to go into the showroom. There is like a suggestion that that might be true when, uh, when <laughs> Natalie Portman, sorry, I now can't remember her name either. <laughs> Natalie Portman, <laughs> Lena, first meets the team um, and they're all introducing themselves and then they tell her that they're all going to go into the shimmer and Natalie Portman, Lena is like, um, oh, all women. And she makes, and by the way, I just, side note, the script was not good. Sorry, script. But she explicitly says, she's like, all women? And they're like, and then Tessa Thompson's like, we're scientists, blah, blah. So there seems to be like a subtle hint towards there's a reason why all this, this group of women going in is going to be different. However, I don't actually see any follow through with that connection. And I don't, and I think any attempt to like make a connection would be a bit of a stretch. Unless like, I don't know, if any of you do have a strong theory. Like I, I certainly didn't feel one watching it. I don't think there's a strong connection necessarily between the gender aspect. Because Natalie Portman's character, Lena, is also in the military, but she also is a scientist. So, but Kane's unit that went in before was all military, and it seems as though they had only previously used male military units, which I think in itself also has other implications. Like, a person in the military is going to have a very different problem-solving method to someone who's a scientist. Like, Lena wanted to collect alligator teeth when after they killed the alligator, but I doubt Kane's military unit was going to do the same thing. Instead, they were cutting open his homeboy with the moving guts and filming him. <laughs> <laughs> Those are very different approaches to dealing with the shimmer and the thing, weird things that they were seeing within it. Like, never at any point did they think to cut each other open, even though they all started saying, well, what if our insides are moving or what if something's going wrong with us as well? It was a much more like they knew something was wrong, but they weren't like, damn, let's cut each other open and film it. You know, Rodriguez was very close to doing that. She was. Yeah, yeah. Jane the Virgin was ready to do some cutting. <laughs> but she was also military as well, wasn't she? Paramedic, I think. Yeah, Which yeah. I'm like... Why was she there? <laughs> it's very random that they show this random paramedic who like used to be an addict and was like, you go. You go. I'm, okay. I profiled you and you should go. She was the token lesbian that was in it. And they, the thing is, it was so funny because she like opens a beer like by just hitting it against the table. And I was like, I bet she's going to be gay. And then she was in the next line. She was like, I love women or something like that. And I was like, there it is. <laughs> You guys also ventured into the shimmer if your husband was Oscar Isaac and you desperately wanted to save him. Because oh, wait, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but only if I was Natalie Portman, if that makes sense. Because I was like, when she was shooting that gun, I was like, yes. There was something grossly, I don't want to say masculine because that's, it. I mean, it's okay. Traditionally masculine about when she was shooting the gun. I would not, you couldn't pay me, not on this God's green earth, am I going into the shimmer, not for no man, not even for no woman. It's what about Zoe Kravitz? Oh, damn. I'm really okay with her not being in my life. Like, I don't need to die to get her. It's okay. <laughs> but she is like a straw. Like, if anyone would motivate me, she might. 
another interesting thing about the movie is we see they subtly like plug ideas that they want you to think about when you're thinking about the shimmer or what's going on with the resequences of genes. Uh, for example, when Natalie Portman's character Lena is sitting on the sofa reading the book in a flashback, she's reading The Immortal Life of Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks, which is obviously one of the more famous cases that came out of the U.S. where someone was very ill and their genes were used to make a lot of cures and their family didn't receive compensation. But this novel was written and the adaptation to the novel was made, I think, about a year or two ago. So what do you guys think about it? And do, does anyone know the full background of that story that they would like to explain further to the listeners? Oh, hi. Yes, I do. Um, no, I think it just, <laughs> just want to um, quickly say that um, we read this idea in an article by Helen Lewis. Um, just want to credit her because it was a really interesting point that at least I definitely missed in the film. But so the Henrietta Lacks's cells, her cancerous cells, they came from her cervix. And so at least when I read up on this point, I thought it was a really interesting, a potential interesting, interesting connection between the idea of the womb as a site of life and death. Obviously, her cells are cancerous. The cervix, you know, gives life as well. And so um, Natalie Portman reading this book, obviously within the film is referencing um, her role as a scientist. But if we look at it within the context of the mother, the monstrous mother, it does come back to the more Freudian sense of terror that can come from the womb. Sorry, this is a little side note. The, the bear, when it's killing um, Gina Rodriguez, that's a really harrowing scene. I don't know whether it was just because it looked fucked up, but it really made me think about being eaten alive. No, that's the, that would be the point, because it's trying to bring attention to, like, the castrating mother, the sort of reincorporation, the focus on, like, a mouth and teeth and everything would be, that's the fear. What do you think about the ending? Because lots of, there was a lot of debate whether she is, the double actually prevails and Lena actually prevails. But in my opinion, I think it was kind of obvious that Lena, original Lena, prevails. And the point was not that... Um, which one of them survived. It was the fact that even if you do survive, it doesn't matter. Your double might as well have survived because your DNA has been so scrambled. Um, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about the film Psycho and how it relates to Creed's second monstrous mother, the castrating mother. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. So, what is the castrating mother? So I think, uh, like we said before, there isn't too much difference between the castrating mother and the archaic mother, other than the focus has shifted from the mother herself to the, the effect of her castration, which is, in this case, the castrated son, um, if we're talking about Psycho. So why do you think he's castrated, first and foremost? Like, in what ways does she castrate him? Because we don't have so much that toothy maw, that gaping maw that we have in Alien and in some scenes in Annihilation. We have something else different. So how do you think that he's castrated? I think because 
he basically his identity is revolved around almost pretending to be his mother and he's unable to process life without her so he literally pretends to be her and talks to himself as his mother cooks for himself as his mother has dinners with his mother her, I be, her body was still there as well like he's unable to process or like live without being attached to her in some way psycho is a classic and it's also such classic freudian bullshit of the the archaic mother being the unseen thing like we literally don't see her and also it's a cop-out of like who is the villain you like it's it's like we're unable to make him the actual villain the actual murderer because he's been castrated and especially because he's particularly effeminate and there's this even in disney there's that trope of like the effeminate man being the villain and then we've sort of shifted blame off of him onto her and we don't even fucking see her we don't even have any evidence that she even castrated him in the first place and so i think it's just like a bit infuriating but it is very classic creed classic freud yeah i totally agree with that um the the whole psychology of norman bates is based off of the perverse relationship with his mother and i think there is like a classic freudian trope of like a mama's boy who then becomes sexually perverted because of this gross like either poor relationship with his mother and it plays out and i know it sounds like that's not a criticism of the film because i think it narrativizes it really well um and obviously it's become such a classic but yeah it's a great example of when we talk about the freudian analysis in creed's book as well I guess it kind of comes into like how he's been castrated when Creed talks about it because she's saying like it's all to do with the fact um, she very kind of heavily goes back to Freud here and she's saying that it's all to do with the fact that mother has repressed his sexual expression um, and that links back to Freud's idea that the mother is the first one who will tell the child not to masturbate and stuff like that and this is the beginning of is apparently this the reason why he has to um kill women because he feels guilty for every time he desires someone also going back to what louisa said at the beginning part of the podcast about the archaic mother and the link between the absence of a father creating like a villain or a perverse individual i think that's kind of the situation here because we don't see his father at all and there's not really a mention of him And so, like, his entire villain identity is solely based on the existence of his mother. And almost, like, due to, like, what Milo's saying, like, an Oedipal complex, like, the sexual desire for the mother because the father isn't there to stop it or be a competitor and letting them know that it's not okay. He's, like, spun out of control and has such a perverse personality that it's turned into murder. Marion, also, like, her connection with her mother is similar. Like, her mother doesn't want her to be with her broke down boyfriend who's paying all his money in alimony. <laughs> Honestly, probably a good choice. <laughs> she is fun to do all of these out of characteristic actions, like steal her boss's money and go hide away to pay off her boyfriend's debt so that they can get married, which I'm sorry, that is the most ridiculous reason to go to prison. <laughs> to I totally forgot that was part of the movie. 
Yeah. She didn't even want the money to give herself a better life. It was truly so she could marry this man. That is the epitome of misogyny. Like, she literally dies for something that she didn't even have a desire for. She didn't care about this money at all. She literally just wanted to marry this man who was like, I'm sorry, I'm too broke to marry you. So, mother knows best. You should listen to her. But, okay, so, um, but it's interesting that you drew a parallel between her mother and um, Norman's mother because uh, I think Creed and other people as well have sort of said how she is she turns over the picture or she'd have to turn over the picture if of her mother if um her boyfriend were to come to visit or something like that and uh so it's kind of like mother's not allowing this illicit sex and then we go back to norman and it's very much like the same thing um so what scenes do you think specifically in psycho really show his sexual repression if we're taking it for granted that this mother really did behave this way because we kind of have to right because we're through the eyes of Norman. I think a really nice parallel to draw up, to, to touch on like both the idea of um, mother's watchful, watchful eye, but also Norman's sexual expression would be, so the symbolism of birds in the movie, we have the idea that women are prey, obviously represented through Marion, and her last name is Crane. There's a lot, I mean, there's like endless, bird references in the movie but also the idea that the mother's watchful eye could be a sort of bird-like yeah predator bird-like symbol and then on the flip side of that we have Norman's male gaze expressed like iconically through shot through the peephole you know the iconic scene of him voyeuristically looking at Marion showering so I think the contrast between male gaze which is both sexual but also sort of perverse and that it's voyeuristic and it's from a distance so there's a sexual repression element to it but then um it was also pointed out that he chooses to poison her so it's kind of like anticipating his own death via consumption by making her die via consumption right about like the the poison thing it's like psychologically they always say women kill with poison and men kill with like a gun or a knife or a weapon that's also don't yeah or like, are more likely to, not always, but like men are go for like the fast, violent kill and women are more likely to do something sneaky. And that's also why I didn't buy that in his monstrous persona that he was being effeminate or that it was a result of his being effeminate because it was so masking to sneak up on somebody and stab them. I think in a way it, it does reflect that inner turmoil of the effeminate side of him that's been like cultivated by his weird relationship with his mum. So that would be where he poisons her. But then the sexual repression that's resulted from that when it bubbles over and he goes and kills Marion, it is expressed in that really, you know, phallic way, sexually violent way of stabbing someone when they're in the shower. Yeah, I think, I think it's meant to be his like repressed sexual urges coming to light and um the knife is his phallus which is also meant somewhat ironic because the knife could be used to cut it off it's kind of like all bound up into one (laughs) i don't know cut it off (laughs) just cut it off
oh, that was one. It was, um, what do you guys think of the, the scene where she's showering? Because some people again think that she's masturbating and Brian De Palma thought so. And that's why he made Carrie masturbate it apparently in the opening scene. Um, and if she is masturbating, then apparently that's why Norman also wants to kill her because she's violating what mother says about not, um, you know, not engaging with like sexuality and stuff. So do you think she's masturbating? Because I really didn't get that. I thought she was, no. I just understand why women can't take a shower without men being like, oh, she's wanking. It's all, I think Brian De Palma is projecting his sexual fantasies onto films because yeah. I agree she was not I will say I've never seen a more casual shower in my life. Like it's like truly besides the fact that there's voyeurism, very boring. Two out of 10 shower scene. Two hours. Yeah, I don't think she even has to be impure, explicitly impure. I think just the fact that she's a woman and can elicit sexual feelings for him is reason enough. Yeah, so you're going more with the, it's a symbolic kind of rape when he kills her because he can't deal with his own desire. It's not really to do with her. I agree. I, I didn't really see it as a punishment for her, which is what um, yeah. Creed and Freud and everyone would kind of read it as, but I do, I do think that there is a reason why she is killed within the movie and not someone else, because her entire backstory of her, like, having casual sex with her boyfriend in the hotel, who's, I think, possibly technically still married, uh, does make her into, like, especially during that time period, like, a rather controversial female character. And that was not at all needed to tell her story because her stealing the money was not really that important, to be honest. Like, the movie definitely turns into more of, like, a disappearance investigation, even though the disappearance of the money is, like, what sets off to, to look for her. Ultimately, her family probably would have looked for her anyway. So I think making her into, like, a sexually active woman who's got, like, kind of a shady dating history is something that was done intentionally to where she would be to the viewer not worthy of being the final girl because she is engaging in sex within the movie which is usually seen as like okay this female character is going to die true yeah i think that definitely plays into um the shock factor of the film but also that hitchcock wanted to completely subvert narrative structures by killing off one of the main characters so early on i just don't like psycho my problem with Hitchcock movies is I feel like they have like so much underlying misogyny within them that I can't properly enjoy them. And also the yeah. person, because I am not a person who's like, separate the art from the artist. Like, it is difficult to watch it with 21st century feminism. Yeah. It's kind of, it's not as enjoyable as I imagine, or even as shocking as it once would have been. It's kind of trite and now overdone because everyone and their mother has and their mother has paid it has paid homage to it thank you for listening to the monstrous feminine be sure to follow us on instagram and soundcloud at the monstrous feminine and leave us lots of comments and likes we'd love to know what you think brooms up which is out